I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You are listening to Alone, a love story. And I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 18. He Exists. The Rosary. Each bead on the rosary is a perfectly etched rose. We're standing in Vatican City, the sunlight hitting the dome of St. Peter's on such a perfect angle, it's like Michelangelo himself painted it for us that morning. It's August 2005. The husband is patient with my odd fascination with Catholic objects. He stands around as I pick up tiny statues of Mary, try on bracelets with pictures of saints, root through bowls filled with those tiny medallions old Italian ladies pinned to their bras. I love all that stuff. It reminds me of my aunts and grandmothers, the women of my childhood who wore nothing but black clothing and beige nylons, whose bodies felt like they were made of endless folds of the softest flesh. In their pockets were hard candies, prayer cards from funeral masses, and of course, rosaries. Now, as an adult, although I'm not a practicing Catholic, I still love all this stuff, and rosaries the most. But this particular rosary I've just picked up is the most beautiful I've ever seen, with its tiny metallic rose beads. So I buy it. The husband and I climb the inside of St. Peter's Dome to the very top until we're out of breath, faces red. You can touch the gilded walls and be that close to beauty and still feel a strange hollow inside of you. It's the weirdest thing. Or a metaphor, maybe. I don't know. The night the bomb drops, seven years later, the world falls out from under my feet and I have almost nothing to keep me from falling out with it. I'm moving into the guest room because I can't even be in our bedroom anymore. Can't even be there. I'm hyperventilating, crippled by the near constant images in my head of my husband having sex with that woman only two nights earlier, maybe our whole marriage long. I scramble in the junk drawer of the dresser until I find the rosary with its beautiful little roses. I'm so relieved. Trying not to let the panic take over me, I start to do the rosary. Our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name? Thy kingdom come. I haven't said a prayer aloud in probably 15 years, maybe more. I gave up on it all a long, long time ago. Tonight, it comes back. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I start on the first bead with our Father, then do a Hail Mary 
and repeat again and again and again. Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou. Round and round the rosary. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sins. Now the hour of our death. Amen. Oh, Father, I be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, forgive those who trespass against us. Now the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sins. Now the hour of our death. Amen. When I'm down the rosary, I feel almost like a normal, living, breathing person. Almost. I put it over my head, and it falls, down against my collarbones, my skin, the cross hanging. And there it stays, for one whole year. I'm not even kidding. I wear it every single day, every night, 24-7. I even wear it while having sex, with the ex-husband, with the first guy, and cute crazy guy, and hot actor, and anyone else who's with me that first year. Any photos you see of me at the time, you can see it poking out from under sweaters or t-shirts or summer dresses or blazers, always under my clothes, so that the beads were close to my heart, on my skin, the cross always tucked into my bra. Months in, I'm hanging out with a bunch of co-workers at a bar. A woman I've known a long time notices the rosary and asks me about it. I tell her, I can't stop wearing it. I can't stop doing the prayers, even though I'm not sure I believe in what I'm saying when I say them. She nods her head and tells me when she and her wife divorced a few years earlier, she just started to do the prayers on her old childhood rosary. Even though she too considered herself an atheist, even though the prayers felt hollow. She gets it. She understands how a relic from the past can make the confusion of the present bearable. And so we have a moment, the two of us, the kind of moment where you realize a little bond has been created. We are two people tied by this one experience. I wish I could say that my rosary brought me closer to God, but that didn't happen until the next year, and even then, it was more desperation than faith. I'd had one of those nights where I was crying my eyes out and couldn't sleep. I was in a vortex of self-pity. So I reached for the rosary with the tiny etched roses. I took it and ran my fingers along the chains that linked the beads. I said the prayers over and over again, and then, just in case, I mean, why not, I asked God to send me something good for once, to send me someone to bring me a little joy. Look, I know I don't even believe in you, so I totally get that this isn't cool, but really, Lord, I'm just so tired of no one loving me, of sleeping alone, so can you send me someone who at least wants to hang out with me and have sex with me? If you do, I will totally start believing in you. I'll do this rosary every night, I promise. This is a completely pathetic admission. I know, but I said I would tell you everything, even these unbearably shameful moments, like asking a god I didn't even believe in to give me a boyfriend. If he exists, you exist. 
Let me see what you've got. The Man with the White Shirt. I'm washing a white shirt in my sink. It's a man's shirt. And yes, all the pioneering feminists are rolling in their graves right now, but I don't care. The man who is in this shirt is sleeping in my bed, looking like the most beautiful form of beautiful I've ever seen. It's 8.30 a.m., Labor Day, and I can't sleep, so I'm washing the mud off his shirt, mud that got there when he rode his bike here in the rain last night. In just 12 days, this gorgeous man has turned my life into one buzzing, electrified hum. Everything feels sunnier. I'm walking on a cloud. I'm over the moon. I'm every cliche you have ever heard. I exist. He exists. Holy shit, this is happening. I make some espresso. I fry up some bacon. I whip up a batch of pancakes from scratch and flip them perfectly one by one. I set the table. I cut up fruit and arrange it artfully on a plate. I'm playing some reggae low on the stereo so I don't wake him. And I sing along like the happiest woman in the world. I'm like Snow White in the forest, with all the birds and animals drawn to me. I'm glowing so much, it must be blinding. Who is this person? Look closely. I assure you, this is me. The me you've come to know, just with butterflies. I'm scrambling eggs when he comes out of my room, looking like God's gift to man. But wait, there's more to him than that, I promise. Here he is saying, it smells so good in here. Then, oh wow, look how beautiful that plate of fruit looks. Oh my God. He noticed my artful arrangement. Oh my God. He smiles so warmly, like with his eyes, and puts his hand on my face. I'm evaporating now into the ether. Look at me go. With his hand like that, he says, Look at you. Oh my God, you're always so beautiful, day and night. I suddenly remember I was so intent on washing his shirt and cooking him breakfast that I forgot to fix myself up. I'm in a nightgown, and my short curly hair is probably sticking up. Shit, I have no makeup on. But here he is, looking at me like I'm dreamy and telling me so. We spend the entire day like this, dreamily looking at each other, talking and talking, sitting out on my balcony or lying around in my bed, laughing. At one point I say, man, this day is so nice. And he says, I know, it's like Christmas time nice, which seems in the moment like just about the best thing anyone has ever said out loud. It's probably a line. 
He probably says and does all these same things with all the girls, but I've already checked into La La Land, so it all feels as real and special as I think it is. He exists. He exists. He exists. He tunes my guitar and plays me a song. As he sings and plays, I feel like I have actually, truly, died and gone to heaven. I can't stop staring at his neck, his jawline. I snap photos on my phone like a teenage girl in the bed of her first love. Then he plays me a song he's written, although he's shy at first. There's only so much room inside you In between the skin and bone I'm floating on cloud nine. Have you been there recently? It's been so long, so long for me. I've forgotten it feels this awesome. Now you, he says, and passes me the guitar. Oh God, I can't play and sing for him. But I do. I play Smokey Robinson's You Really Got a Hold on Me, and he beams at me the whole time. I don't like you, but I love you. Seems that I'm always thinking of you. Now, if this was a movie, the fact that I sing that particular song would be some kind of super lame foreshadowing. I mean, really, of all the songs. The lyrics of that song basically become the very essence of me when it comes to him. Though you treat me badly, I love you madly, you really got a hold on me. Of course, I can't know the irony of this moment. Not like I see it now. But back to the Snow White. Pancakes, butterflies, and Christmas time nice. The man with the white shirt in my bed like a god. Me on a cloud, etc. I'm just so happy to feel again. This man makes me feel things again. He takes the guitar from my hands puts it aside, and wraps his arms around me. We lie there together. He says how happy he is we met. He says he can't wait to introduce me to his friends. He says his mother will love me. Jesus, we've only known each other 12 days. 12 alcohol-free days, I should note. Just a few days before I met him, I'd started a detox making it the longest stretch without drinking since the bomb. So when the man with the white shirt met me, he met me. And he liked me. Me. He runs his hand along my shoulder, and I feel like the whole bed will catch fire. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. 
Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Tilt-a-whirl. The man with the white shirt spins my head around so much, I know I'm not thinking straight. But I don't care. I want to be as spun as cotton candy. I want to feel like I'm on the ride where the carny shouts, Do you want to go faster? Why, yes. Yes, I do. I want to feel this rush of adrenaline, all sugary and about to throw up. White shirt shows up at my work just to see me one afternoon, the very first week we met, because he says he can't wait the four more days till our next date. He holds my hand on the street. He kisses me on every corner, every time the light turns red, and we have to wait to cross. No matter who tells a story, one of us says, Oh my god, that's exactly like me! And the other answers, Well, obviously, because I'm you! I've never experienced such a thing in all my life. This totally getting someone who totally gets you. It's like we're each other's mirror, twin, and we get so instantly wrapped up in it. This spun-like gold thing that's happening. One night, we're dancing in a club, so close, and the way he holds me, it's like I'm meant to fit there, folded into him. No one's on the dance floor but us. I can't stop smiling, he says, and I say, me either. And here it is for me, finally. Romance. Romance. Imagine how lucky it is to find someone who reminds you that life is full of exclamation marks. It's the fucking best. The first time I saw him, it was like the air came out of me but in a good way. That night, as I said, I was sober. And when I first saw him walk in wearing, yes, a white shirt, I just thought, wow. But it wasn't his clothes that caught my eye. It was his everything. The way he walked around, the way his face lit up while talking to people, the total package. It was a Thursday evening in this cafe, bar, in Kensington Market. A goodbye party for a sparkler of a girl I know through a mutual friend. It was a cabaret thing where her friends performed songs and burlesque. I was only going to go for an hour or so because it's not really my thing. But the man with the white shirt. I watched him the whole time. His every reaction his changing facial expressions, his eyes when they fleetingly locked on mine. I knew I had to talk to him. After the show, while we all stood around chatting, I couldn't concentrate on anything my friends were saying. I just kept watching him. Finally, I walk right over to him and a woman he's talking to and ask to bum a cigarette. 
He says he has menthols. And I say, okay, thanks, Grandma. And take one from his friend instead. Later, he tells me that everything about me let him on fire immediately. My dress, my confidence, the grandma insult, all of it. He and the woman are clearly close. She smiles knowingly and says, I'll just leave you two. And with that, the rest of the world leaves us too. By the time I get home, there's a text from him saying he was so glad to have met me and he can't wait to continue our conversation. So we continue to text till 2 a.m. After that, I type a memo into my phone with every single detail I can remember about him. His full name, his birth date, the country he was born in, the places he's lived, everything we talked about, and my overall impressions of him. Angolan and Portuguese. Scorpio, like me. Dreadlocks. Great dresser, like amazing. Beautiful face. Even beautifuler smile. So unpretentious, kind, and funny. Is this guy really this perfect? This memo is still in my phone, you know. Stamped with the 2 a.m. date of August 23rd, 2013. We had our first date later that same day. The next morning, at breakfast in a diner nearby, I take a photo of him, and he snaps one of me. That photo is still the one that pops up on his phone when I call him or text. I printed out the one I took, wrote the date on the back, folded it, and put it in my wallet, where it's lived for the past five years. It's hard to let go of magic sometimes. What can I say? But back to that. We do real dating things. He's fun and bright and just brims with positivity. He's gorgeous and dorky and exuberant. He talks a lot and he listens so well and he always, always says the exact right thing but it never feels like a line, even though maybe it is. There are downsides, which the spun-like sugar me is ignoring. He's a bit of a bohemian, which is to say a musician, and his friends all seem to be burlesque dancers that he slept with or is still sleeping with. He doesn't have a career. He doesn't own anything. He lives like me and my friends lived when we were 22. His apartment, small and untidy, crammed with instruments and recording equipment, and in the kind of building and neighborhood that make me feel positively bourgeois. But all spun like I am, all butterflies and unicorns and cotton candy, I ignore all this. I just want to be with someone kind, someone who looks at me like they can't believe I'm in front of them. So I focus on his gorgeousness, his charm, the way we can talk for hours and still have more to say. It's bliss, pure bliss, this romance thing, this we saw each other from across the room and wow thing. I like this hazy glow of magic that surrounds us. This golden mist. Those eyes. God damn it, those eyes. I don't want to pull back the curtain just yet. Independent woman. I just got a letter in the mail. It's stamped Supreme Court of Justice. Shit, am I being called for jury duty? 
jury duty happens to be my biggest fear after being abandoned or having to be alone for the rest of my life. Yes, that's right. The hierarchy of things I'm afraid of. One, being alone forever, and I'm not even 40, God. Two, being abandoned, check. Three, being called for jury duty. Lucky for me, it isn't jury duty. It's a notice of divorce. Not the divorce itself, a warning, a friendly reminder that yes, the divorce is coming. Not today, but soon. On October 27th, 2013, it would finally be official and legal. I feel numb, punched in the gut, achingly sad, incredibly free, angry, and happy. I burst into tears and call my friend, the practical one, but she isn't home. Who else? Who else? Now, there are a lot of people I could call next, but I called the man with the white shirt. Don't roll your eyes at me. Don't say I'm crazy to call a guy I just started seeing to cry about my divorce. I mean, maybe I am a little, in the sense that my new crazy is just being me and not hiding my emotions or trying to play it cool. This guy feels like the real deal. I'm not crying when he answers, but he knows something's wrong. I say, I just got the congratulations, you're divorced letter. Oh, honey, I'm sorry, but also, that's awesome. I break into a huge smile. It must be really hard for you to just see it printed on a page like that, he says, all best guy ever, all unicorn-like. I tell him honestly, I felt numb, punched in the gut, achingly sad, incredibly free, angry, and happy. As I'm talking, he texts me a link to a video that makes me want to drive straight over to his house and tackle him, bury my head in his shoulder and wake up three days later. It's an old music video by Destiny's Child. The song, Independent Women, which is a hilarious thing to send me. Instead of letting me feel sorry for myself, the man with the white shirt sends me a badass lady anthem. It makes me laugh. It makes this heavy moment light. And with that, the divorce becomes just the divorce, the next logical step. Just a piece of paper that said in two weeks' time, I would be an independent woman. The night the husband asked me to marry him, back in 2001, remember 9-11, the Italian restaurant, the diamond ring? That night, before I agreed to take a chance, I said to him, Look, I really, really don't want to get married just to get divorced. It won't be like that, he said. But I wanted to be sure. So many people in my family have gotten divorced. They all said vows, believed them, and then broke them. A marriage contract meant nothing to me. I'm only going to ask you one thing, I said to him that night. If we get married, do you promise you'll fight? Even when things get hard or confusing, will you fight to make it work? Fight to stay together and do everything it takes not to get divorced? I want us to fight for what we're saying today, that we love each other and want to take care of each other for the rest of our lives. And he said, I will always fight for you, Parisi. That's who I am. But it wasn't true. As I suspected, our vows held no currency. 
They just got us a piece of paper that said we were married. Just like this piece of paper that says we aren't. You're listening to Alone, a love story, written by me, Michelle Parisi. It's a CBC original podcast. The story editor is Veronica Simmons. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Veronica in our hometown of Toronto. I've got a lot more to share with you at cbc.ca slash alone. The stories behind the story I'm telling, photos, and a lot about music. Stick with me. I want to tell you what magic feels like. Hey, if you like Alone, a love story, you should check out Love Letters, a new podcast from the Boston Globe, hosted by the Globe's advice columnist, Meredith Goldstein. On season one of the show, Meredith is trying to answer one big question I would really love to know the answer to. How do you get over a breakup? She'll offer confessions from her own life, share stories of people determined to reclaim their lives, and seek romantic wisdom from relationship experts and other advice columnists. It's all part of Meredith's mission to find a cure for the common breakup. If only. You can subscribe to Love Letters at loveletters.show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.